You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Cindy Dash is the general manager of the Changing Hands Bookstore in Tempe, Arizona. Thank you for joining me, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Cindy, tell me how long have you been in the bookselling business and how much of that has been with Changing Hands? Um, I've been in the book industry, including time spent at a library um, and a chain bookstore for about 14 years, and I've been at Changing Hands for seven. Now, what brought you to Changing Hands Bookstore? Um, I was living in Arizona. Um, I had moved here, and I was working at the library doing events for them, and I was very intrigued by the in, you know, the independent bookstore down the street. Um, I liked you know, the independent mindset where we didn't have to go to a large group of a large body of people to make changes or decisions, and um, I had the opportunity to come over and work on their events program and basically create it and make it bigger, and that was just a great opportunity for me at the time. Could you uh, indicated you'd worked at a chain bookstore before. Could you tell me what chain you worked for and maybe talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. I worked at Barnes & Noble, and um, it was a great experience. It was a great company to work for. Um, you know, started on the sales floor, moved into management, and then uh, when I moved from Denver to Arizona, I transferred from one Barnes & Noble to the other. And um, it was really, it was great. It was, you know, another side of book selling. Well, um, since you've worked at both places, this is very interesting to me. I've never talked to somebody who's been in both environments. Uh, Tell me, uh, what are some of the differences that you uh, experience every day now as an independent bookseller and and have for the past seven years? I think the differences are is in the independent bookstore I work for now, when something comes out on the news, when a new book comes out, we can turn to each other and say, hey, let's do this. Um, we can come up with events, we can come up with programs, we can come up with displays. Where when I worked for Barnes & Noble, you know, all of what was going to be our front promotions, our front things came to us and we responded rather than got to be the people who actually initiated it. Um, and, you know, I found also the customer base was a little bit different. A customer comes into Barnes & Noble looking for the bestseller that they heard about, looking for a book that they need for their classroom, where in an independent, the customer is uh, much more wide open comes in looking for, um, you know, they have an idea. I want to read a book about this idea. Where can you guide me? And they come in wanting to engage in a conversation often. That's really interesting. Now, you've also worked in the third area of sort of kind of book selling at a library. Yes. So tell me how that compares to your two book selling experiences. You know, for me, it was not as much fun um, because, you know, all the time we were out of the bestsellers that the people mostly wanted because there was a limited quantity of them. It's also a public building. Um, what was the biggest thing I learned as I moved from Colorado to Arizona, went to work in the library, and it gets very hot here in the summer. And I did realize very quickly that we were basically a facility of free air conditioning you know, for the masses that also housed books. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was a lot of transients. Um, but we did start an events program there, and what was exciting is that we were able, because it was a library, to get grants. Um, and we were able to actually pay speakers and bring them in, and it wasn't just around a new book coming out. So we engaged in some music programs, author programs, and that was 
you know, a lot of fun, and it was a great community builder. And we did find that when we had events at the library, circulation went up. That's really interesting. I've never actually heard of a library having events. Was this something you came up with? Um, yeah. I mean, I would, you know, I'd say it was one of those conversations that said, wouldn't it be great if, and then, I, you know, I basically said, well, I'll take that on and start applying for some grants and bringing in speakers. You know, I think in L.A., their libraries have great speaker programs, but it is, you know, it's all grant-related. Wow. Well, that's really interesting. So tell us a little bit about how the book selling environment has changed. In 14 years of book selling, and given your where you were when things were changing, you've seen some really interesting changes, I bet. You know, I was just talking the other day to somebody about when, during my stint at Barnes & Noble, the OJ trial was going on. And I remember that my social issues section with, you know, it started with two OJ books, during his trial, actually became six shelves of OJ books and OJ commentary. And it was interesting to see, you know, how you expand shelving and reduce shelving based on a trend or a topic and how now I don't even know what bookstores carry. I think if you want a book on the OJ trial, you have to go to the libraries now. You wouldn't find that in the bookstore. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest changes I've noticed is uh, the switch over from fiction to memoir and how much, you know, I remember when it was all biographies. A memoir wasn't even really a word yet, and now memoirs is actually our, one of our fastest growing and selling sections. Um, and the permission that gives, and now it's slowly you're starting to hear the buzzword of creative nonfiction, um, you know, taking over memoir. Well, tell us what is creative nonfiction from the perspective of an independent bookseller, and what are some what titles that you are interested in? I think, and you know, and I'm actually a big fan of the creative nonfiction. I think it's you know books that we read as kids you know, that we had to read for school that were boring, but now great writers are writing them. And examples would be, you know, Salt. And um, a recent one I read was Flower Confidential, which is the whole backside industry of the flower industry. Uh, even Kitchen Confidential. These are all nonfiction narratives, but they have storyline and they have structure. And, you know, to a degree, they even have a plot. Um, Colors was another book that I recently read, which was basically a natural history of color, how each color came into being with people. And this, to me, is creative nonfiction because it's it's not about a person and it's not a novel. And, you know, we always ask these questions when these books come in. Where do we shelve them and how do people find them? And at our store, we're doing a creative nonfiction section to put all these books together. I, I just read a, a, a novel, or not a novel, a piece of, I guess, what you call creative nonfiction, uh, The Billionaire's Vinegar mm-hmm. by Benjamin Wallace, which was like a, a thrilling mystery. And and as you said, uh, there's a nice trend with uh, nonfiction that's being written that really seems to have a, a, almost a plot in, in many ways, a very close to novelistic structure. Exactly. And these writers are really talented, and it's nice to see them take on another, you know, genre. Well, as a as a bookseller, one thing that well, as a book reader, I'm a book buyer on my behalf. I really like hardcover books, and I've seen a real trend now to that a lot of we're we're losing a lot of hardcover books. And, and I wonder if you care to comment on that. Well, I think you know it, it's gotten hard, more difficult for people to spend twenty five dollars on a single book. Um, I think they're willing to make that investment um, when they know it's a good book. But there's still, you know, some books that make it through that aren't that good. Also, people are so mobile that I think they like to carry around a lighter book than a paperback. But what I am finding is there's this other sect of people, and a lot of them are very young, where they really appreciate the book as an art object. And they gravitate to the hardcovers. They gravitate to the McSweeney type of style where there's an interesting design. And there seems there is no price cap on these. 
Um, and, I, and I find that to be an interesting trend, too, where you know, I could easily say the masses prefer to spend $14 on a paperback rather than a hardcover at this time. But there's a whole generation of people who are very interested in the book as the object that also has a great story they can read. And I'm, even in my own store, I have you know, a slew of 20-year-olds that work here, and they are collectors. You know, they're very interested in how books are bound and what they look like. And that's just, it's, it's almost a little joy in our industry because it's, you know, the book is one object that really hasn't changed design since its first invention. Where if we think about things like radio and television and even saucers and cups, how much, you know, design has changed them over time. The book is something that has remained the same. I really like. There's a uh, it, there is really a nice trend towards uh, nice, more nicely designed books, and and there's some great book designers too. Chip Kidd comes to mind. His stuff always looks really gorgeous. Oh, he's a big favorite here. We we all have big crushes on Chip Kidd. He went. He did an event here, and we're still coming down off of that. Oh, when did he do that event? It was December '06. It was for his book that came out with Rizzoli, and he was just a blast. Yeah, I talked to him long ago when uh, the uh, Cheese Monkeys came out, <laughs> and he was he was a lot of fun. Now, tell me, um, what could you talk a little bit about? Uh, I'm always also interested in genre fiction, so can you tell me about uh, how you guys sell genre fiction and how you shelve it? Because there's lots of stuff that it's hard to tell where you're going to put it. For example, uh, um, Susanna oh, Clark's book, the. Um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell um, is a book that was, you know, it had a very confused identity, I think. So how do you, how do you make those decisions as to wh- whether you're going to shelve, say, a Susanna Clark with just mainstream bestsellers or put it over with the science fiction? That's actually, you know, that's a great question. And I think we really, and one of the reasons we value publisher reps so much is we work with our publisher reps and, and see where they guide us. Um, a lot of times we take a book and we put it in two categories. You know, we put it in our new wall. We, you know, the new wall will be anything new that come out. We'll also put it in science fiction. But, you know, it's funny. You look at a Diana Gabaldon, and when I worked at Barnes & Noble, she was in the romance section. And in my story, she's in the fiction section. Um, Lori Nataro is another writer who, when she started out, was in humor um, and begged and begged and begged to me moved into fiction, claiming that if David Sedaris could be in fiction, um, she should be in fiction, and at the same time, why David Sedaris is not in memoir um, is because I guess he stretches the truth. Um, so it, it's really interesting, and I think it's a challenge um, for booksellers at time. But I think a really good bookseller, you know, once they know what the book is about, they know where to look. And then often we do find ourselves searching in three different areas um, for a book. Um, and we think, where will it sell best? So Susanna Clark, we felt would sell best in fiction, and we put her in mainstream fiction. Um, but it's it's a tough question, and, and we will often watch books move from one area to. Well, it's interesting too because uh, genre fiction, and and I think in a particular fantasy, has uh, its profile has just shot up recently. We are seeing bestsellers with by Terry Goodkind and George R. R. Martin and Robert Jordan, which. I mean, to me, 10 years ago, that would have been unthinkable. It's really true, and, and we're seeing this rise in sci-fi, and you're seeing it on the television, you're seeing it in the movie theaters, and I think part of it is, you know, it's escapism. You know, I think um, people, don't, people don't necessarily want to read a novel about war when they come home, and that's what we're involved in in the news. And science, science fiction offers this other realm to escape to at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I remember during World War 
Two, I don't remember World War Two, but I remember there were a lot of musicals on Broadway and a lot of happy songs, and it almost seems like we're headed back into that. Um, a lot of happy songs on the radio, and people are people are reading more science fiction right now. One of the things about uh, for your entertainment dollar, uh, a twenty-five dollar hardcover gives a pretty darn good uh, value because you you buy it and you can loan it to people, and it takes you a long time. It provides a lot of entertainment for you know a length of time, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It really does, and you know, books um, you can share to other people. I think they're a great value. I think the biggest hesitancy we find of somebody spending twenty-five dollars on a book is that they're afraid they won't like it. Um, and often, when you know my booksellers are talking to a customer about a book that they love, and the customer is hemming and hawing, we just say, "If you don't like it, bring it back. Bring it back. We'll give you something else." That's a that's an interesting sales strategy. I'm wondering how do your customers when when they come in. How many of them know what book they want, and how many of them need some guidance and, you know, want to just kind of poke around? That's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, my my guesstimate is it's 50-50. I think 50% of the people have heard a book on NPR, especially NPR has a big impact, or they write about it on a blog, or they heard about it on a podcast. You know, more of an underground, not in, you know, our customer isn't necessarily coming in for the New York Times bestseller list. Um, they heard about it, they want to read it, it's a topic they're interested in. But then we just have a lot of people who really want to browse. And, you know, when we walk the aisles and ask if we can help, they want to browse. And then sometimes they say, this is the last book I liked, what's the next book that you could recommend? And we find ourselves doing a lot of recommendations based on asking them questions about previous books that they enjoyed. Now, you talked about browsing. One of the things that's, uh, I think, really important for a bookstore is the browsing experience and the experience of being in the bookstore because it's really special and unique. It's like kind of being in a, a big candy store. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you talk about um, how you physically designed your bookstore to make that browsing experience uh, as pleasant as possible and also in a manner to help your salespeople move stock? Sure. Um, and actually, Changing Hands was designed um, before I got here. We went from a small 400-square-foot store near the university into more of a suburban strip mall with the Trader Joe's in our strip mall. And we moved into what was an old Walgreens, um, a very white, um, stoic built uh, space. And the owners at the time, they made they, what they did, which was really beautiful, is they put a lot of curves in. So there's a pathway through the center of the store that is similar to the yellow brick road, although it's not yellow, um, it's tan. And there's a pathway to follow that, and that leads you. And then we have signage for the different areas of the store. A lot of curves, a lot of nooks and crannies, a lot of alleys. Um, one of the more interesting things that happened in our move is we had a children's section that was maybe about 200 square feet. And when we moved to the suburbs, we found that you know, more and more people came in with children's and strollers, and the children's section has actually quadrupled in size since we moved here, you know, stealing sections away from others' areas. Um, and, it, and it's just amazing how many families come here and will spend the day in our kids' section. We have a lot of comfortable chairs. Um, we, kind of, we go for, I would say, autumn earth tone colors, cool oranges, uh, cool greens on the wall, um, it definitely reminds me of the northeast in the fall, the colors of our store, which this time of year when it's 112 degrees outside, um, you do come in and there's a very cool feeling to the store, which is nice. Uh, you have a, a website. Could you talk about how that helps you, hurts you, and what do you think about the, the term in terms of just the effect of the web on, on book sales? Another interesting question. Um, changinghands.com is our website. And it's a website that um, 
is a love and a frustration at the very same time. Um, we can't help but, you know, when you spend time on other people's websites, you know, see what is actually great and out there and usable. Um, I don't think a lot of our customers are shopping for books on our website, but what they are shopping for is information. So our events are promoted on our website, and that's very important to our community. Um, I hope to see our website reflect our store a lot more than it does right now. I feel now it's a bit of a placeholder for our store, and I hope over the next year to evolve our website into an experience that you go to our website and you're able to garner what being at the store is like, what that experience is. You mentioned events, and events are, are really important to me. I really There's nothing like meeting an author and talking to them to get a feel for what the book is going to be like. And just even if you already have read the book or, or know, know the author's work, meeting an author gives you a really a different, uh, I guess, texture to, to reading the book. Could you talk about selecting uh, authors and how you set up events? Sure. Events have definitely become a cornerstone of our business, and we do author events and authorless events. Um, when the publishers have their new books coming out, so actually we're just starting to look at Spring 09, um, we'll then start writing our pitches. Um, and we do a lot of begging uh, to have the publisher send authors to us. We're very fortunate that we don't have to pay a stipend, we don't have to pay traveling fees. Um, we work with the publishers, and we have to convince the publishers that we can sell a certain quantity of books. But so when we do pitch for the authors, it's authors that our staff loves, authors that we believe in, authors certainly that we really want to meet and promote and make bigger than they already are at times. Um, and of course, we you know we pitch for the celebrities. We we want the big ones um, as well, where we know people are just going to come in because they want to meet them. Um, and you know we have events that range from 20 people in an audience to we had one the other night that had about 600 people. We also will go offsite with events and you know rent venues for 1,800. Um, the experience of meeting an author it's one of the least expensive experiences because we basically ask the people purchase the book, and then they get this program of two hours of meeting somebody who's just you know I think writing a book is one of the hardest things you can do, and to be able to meet somebody who's done that and achieved it is an amazing thing. Could you talk about some of the people you've had? And also, what is an author-less event? Uh, an author-less event, and we have an incredibly creative staff here right now. We'll create an event around a book or a theme. So for kids, we've done things such as a science day, where we had different stations all over the store, and we had forensic ex experts and um, pop bottle science, which was the book. It was one of the the tables was based on. So kids were actually able to go from table to table and experience science, you know, with a really cool instructor. And ideally we had, you know, a table full of science books that we hoped would intrigue them. Uh, we have a new one coming up calling, called Gross Out. And it's also for kids. And everything is gross. Every single thing is gross that they'll be interacting with. Um, we'll, you know, with kids again, we'll have crafting um, we, we're going to have crafting activities, and those are based around a lot of books. Adult events will do panel discussions um, around an idea. Tonight we have two people who are running for um, a city council seat. They'll be debating each other at our store. Um, we do a lot of writing workshops, um, so they don't necessarily have an author, um, but they'll have you know an instructor, and sometimes we'll use a book as a model. Um, a lot of the different people who come here, it's been amazing. We've had Senator Obama um, come for his last book that he wrote. Madeleine Albright has come here, Senator McCain. Um, and then we've had T.C. Boyle, um, Isabella Allende, uh, Sherman Alexie. He comes a lot. Um, Anthony Bourdain. So really the gamut of speakers have come here. 
you know, you mentioned uh, three politicians who come to your store to promote their books, and you're having a, a city council meeting there. It sounds like you play kind of an active political part in the community. We find ourselves to be, you know, we're a community gathering place, and that's really what we are first. And I always joke with our staff that, you know, we're a community gathering place, and we help people buy a souvenir on their way out. <laughs> um, but it's a place that we want people to come together for a discussion. And it's interesting because, you know, certainly the political values of the current owners of the store is very strong, but we advocate, to, you know, that our community can come here and discuss um, a multitude, multitude of um, ideas. One of the more exciting things that one of my staff is planning that I'm very, very excited about is all of October we're going to be doing election events, but they're geared towards the un, you know 18 and under, or actually 17 and under. And well, it will culminate with a mock election. So we have you know somebody coming from Senator McCain's office and somebody coming from Senator Obama's office on the local level, and they're going to come and actually debate for the kids. Um, we've got people coming to teach kids how to debate, how to get what you want from your parents. Um, we even have somebody coming from, I believe, the Young Democrats to talk to the kids about how do you choose what party you are, how do you evaluate your values and decide what party you are. Um, and I'm so excited about that program, um, just the fact that we're able to, because I think kids are very curious about this election process, and it's never really explained to them except for, you know, one article in the paper on Sunday that their kids can read, their parents can read to them. Um, but we've always been in the forefront. We're very local. We're very involved in our local first campaign, um, and we get involved politically on issues as far as helping the local businesses. Um, and I think what I've learned over the years is when you're a small business, you must be active in politics to survive. Now, you mentioned local first. I, I think I talked to somebody else who is a member of this, uh, and could you explain what that is? Mm -hmm. Well, Local First, a lot of states have them. Sometimes they're different names. Local First Arizona is an organization of businesses where we're all locally owned and we're advocating essentially for our rights as a local-owned local owned business. We, we advocate against you know large incentives from cities going to developers from out of state. Um, we, we are trying to educate the public on why shopping locally um, increases um, the tax dollars locally. Um, side by side, the ABA has recently launched IndieBound, which is a hand-in-hand -hand partner. Uh, IndieBound is a little bit geared more towards books, but it's also a model of local first that we can take to the other independent stores in the community and rally around raising awareness. And I think really what it is, is a, it's a raising awareness of the public of why they need to make a choice to go to a local restaurant rather than an Applebee's. Um, you can experience Applebee's anywhere, but you can only experience a local chef in that state. Cindy Dash of Changing Hands Bookstore, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.